This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving. 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, if you'll remember, now what we covered was the first paragraph, which was verses 1 through 4. And the different ways that the paragraphs are broken up, it depends on who's publishing it. But in the King James, we have it broken up. I have it on my copy, it's broken up between verses 4 and 5. We focused, in that first paragraph, we placed a real heavy emphasis on what we are called to in the context of what Peter is talking about here. Specifically, what he says in verse 3. Yes, verse 3, where he says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. But then he says this, Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. You may remember, that's where we really leaned most heavily on two weeks ago in our Bible study. He's called us to glory and to virtue. That's what we're called to. And it's, it's easy to forget the second of those two things, modern Christians, and not just modern Christians, but we do tend, we do tend to dwell a lot more on the glory side of what we're called to, but that speaks of what's to come. That speaks of our eternal reward. Once we're done with this life and we clock out of this thing, we're dead or we're taken up in the rapture, whichever happens first, then sure, then we'll enter into the glory of the Lord and whatever whatever other glory he may be referring to here. But in the meantime, we're called to this other thing called virtue. Okay, well, what do we do with that? And not to reteach what we, what, all of what we taught last week, but just kind of bring us back into our context before we go into verse 5. Well, if you want an example of virtue, well, let's say look it up in the dictionary, but go over to Galatians chapter 5 sometime and read about those fruits of the Spirit. Because those are certainly virtues when he speaks of love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. All of these things that God rightly expects the Christian to develop in their own life. They are character traits and they're also practices. They're both. They're not just one or the other. They're both. The virtues that we are called to exhibit in our life are outlined there. There are other ones as well. It speaks of patience, and one that's been on my heart for the better part of three weeks or more, spoken of by our Lord himself back in the Gospels, I believe it's over in Luke. It's just one sentence, and it keeps coming back to mind. In your patience, ye possess your souls. Or in your patience possess ye your souls. What's that mean? When you're patient, you are not anxious. You are not driven by anxieties and uncertainties and, and other carnal impulses or mental impulses that just tend to run people ragged. Let me tell you something. Patience is a tremendous virtue and it is worth more than gold. It will save you more anxiety. It will save you more fear and mental problems and, and emotional problems and other kinds of problems. 
Patience will save you from a lot. It'll save you from irresponsible impulse buys that you can't afford and, and other things. When you lack patience, you're subject to that sort of thing. So all of that just kind of a refresher. We're called both to glory, yes, but to virtue right now. Well, I'll be perfect once I get to heaven. It's not for that. It's for right now. You got to remember, we're supposed to be a city set on a hill. We're supposed to be a candlestick on top of a lampstand, giving light unto all the world. Our Lord Jesus tells us that. And I know that's something that we've emphasized in our church for a long, long time. He said we're the light of the world. He said he's the light of the world. He also said we are the light of the world. And so if we're the light of the world, we can't be filled with darkness. How does light shine? It possesses and exercises and exhibits genuine virtue. Genuine virtue. Not false virtue signaling that many others engage in. So he reminds us of that. And we're reminded of it tonight. We're called to glory. We're called to virtue. Whereby, he says in verse 4, are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye, that's all of us, may be partakers, might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Peter says an awful lot in that first paragraph. There's a lot of meaning at work there. We have escaped the corruption that is in the world. He didn't say we've escaped the world. Hello, here we are, we're still living in the world, but we're not of it any longer. We're no longer of a worldly spirit. We're no longer of worldly priorities and of worldly vanities. We flee these things, and it will show in our lives as we continue to grow into the great in the grace and knowledge of God. And that leads us right into what we want to teach on tonight, which begins in verse 5. It's a new paragraph where Peter says, And beside this, okay, beside this, beside what? Beside everything else he's already just said about being called to glory and virtue and, and receiving these great and precious promises and, and being partakers of the divine nature and all of that. Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And so there's the command right there. So not only are we called to it, we're commanded to it. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. That's quite a list. And I don't mean it's a long list, I just mean it's a good one. That's quite a list of things that we are to add to our faith. Now, it's a list that it's, it, they're all associated. They're like links in a chain, or, or maybe you could describe them as, as building blocks, one on top of another, or uh, there are a number of different ways that you could describe it. They're all interconnected, and we're, all, we're called to add these things one on top of the other, but at the very bottom of it, the very beginning of it, is this one thing that we do not add to ourselves, and that is faith itself. Now, faith, we couldn't just go to Walmart and pick that up, okay? It'd be great if we could. It'd be great if it was as hard to get as, uh, as toilet paper was about a month ago, you know, because it meant that there's a real demand for it. That's kind of what I'm saying, all right? Faith is the gift of God given to a person. It is the Holy Ghost that moves upon the heart and the mind of a person, a man, woman, child, does not matter. It's the Holy Spirit that moves upon them, that convicts them, that brings them to a knowledge of sin, or brings them to a, a knowledge of their 
genuine and even desperate need for God in their own life, a need for a Savior. All of us have experienced that in one way or another. If you're a born-again Christian, wherever you may be, if you're home watching this or here in the house of God, then you experience that to whatever extent, or not to whatever extent, but you experience that to uh, whatever intensity, you could say. That's the word that I'm looking for. And then when we believe, it's because he's given us the ability to believe. That faith, the Bible even tells us, is the gift of God. And so having received that as a gift, that faith is the foundation of our life. And then it's upon that that we now build our lives. And part of building a Christian life and living a Christian life is adding these things to our Christian experience. Can I get an amen on this? Amen. I know this is kind of controversial to some, perhaps, because many want to just grab onto the faith part of that and say, okay, that's it. That's good enough. I have my house. But no, no, you don't. You have your foundation. You do not have your house yet. The house still has to be built on top of that mm -hmm. thing. Love God, Jesus, and that's enough. Okay, well, that's enough for salvation, yes. But now we need to live the Christian life. We've got to live the Christian life. And part of the Christian life is virtue. And so the very first thing that he tells us to add to our faith, and he, he prefaces it, okay, with, he says, giving all diligence. So it takes diligence on our part. It really does. It takes diligence on our part to want to develop these character traits and these virtues in our life. And I'll talk about how here by and by. He says, add to your faith virtue. Virtue. Those good attributes of a virtuous character. And why is it so important for the Christian to have them? There's a couple of different reasons why it's important for the Christian to have them, right? Uh, not, the, not the least of which is so that others can see the reality of God in our life. But it, it goes beyond that, okay? Because anybody can virtue signal, okay? And if you're not familiar with that term, it's, it's come more into the mainstream in the last few years um, in light of certain political movements and ideological movements and things like that. And, and you've got activists out there that, that attempt to virtue signal you when know, they, they make themselves look virtuous, but there's really absolutely no virtue in them at all whatsoever. You know, that most of the time their actions are driven by hatred for one, not love for this group, but it's hatred for this other group. And so that rabbit hole goes deep and we don't want to get very, very much into that. But he tells us to add to our faith virtue and that's real virtue. So yes, virtue is important for the sake of others seeing it, yes, but that's actually secondary. That's secondary. The primary role of that virtue is that we may actually be children of light. Biblical language there, that's not New Age language, I'm pulling that right out of the New Testament. That we may be children of light, that we may be the, ch the children of the Most High God. When we are virtuous, then we will be, we, when we are virtuous, then we will act virtuous. Does that make sense? This might sound, this might sound stuffed shirt, straight laced, and all of that. There's a number of different adjectives that one might choose to find fault with the teaching on this subject, but here it is. We are confronted with it right here in 2 Peter chapter 1. And so, unless we want to be uh, of that type of believer, 
that cuts things out of the New Testament and says that's not for us today, then we have to not just come to grips with this, but accept that this is what God wants in our lives, to be virtuous. He wants us to be virtuous and thereby do virtuously. And so he says, add to your faith virtue, and then add to your virtue, add to your virtue, all right? You're working on virtue. You're working on being a more virtuous person, being a more patient person, a more long-suffering person. Those two things go hand in hand. You're working on being a more faithful person, and, and that speaks being more of just being full of faith, but also being dependable, okay? You're working on being a more dependable person on whom both God can depend, your brethren can depend, pastor can depend. Slip that out there. Nobody liked that. That's okay. We'll let him ride anyway. So you're working on that, but then you add to your virtue, that which you're working on developing in your life, you add to your virtue knowledge. And that's a big one right there. Now, a thousand years ago when literacy on a large scale was a whole lot lower than it is today, then you could be a Christian and just sort of take the preacher's word for it. But there's not really any kind of excuse for that nowadays. God wants us to grow in knowledge and to grow in knowledge. He tells us to add to our virtue knowledge. He says to add to your virtue knowledge. So it's not just a case of having faith and then exhibiting some virtue, but we've got to possess knowledge in this Christian walk. There's no excuse for the 21st century Christian to be an ignorant Christian or an illiterate Christian where it comes to the Word of God. There's no excuse for it because all of society around us is abounding with knowledge of all kinds of things. Now, a lot of it's bad, but a lot of it's good also. And so when the Christian lacks not just virtue, but lacks knowledge, then that makes the church look dumb, doesn't it? Makes us look like a bunch of science-denying, superstitious bumpkins who don't know that babies don't come from cabbages. Some of you know what I'm talking about. That old wives' tale. Okay? We can't look like that. And not only can we not look like that, but we can't be like that. Add to, your, add to your faith virtue and add to your virtue knowledge. Well, knowledge of what? Well, it's not, it's not a leap to suppose that he's speaking specifically of knowledge concerning God, the Word of God, and of godly and of divine things. That kind of knowledge. It doesn't mean that kind of knowledge only doesn't mean that the Christian studies nothing but the Bible, you know, and then can't add two and two together. He's not saying that. The Christian knows only theology, maybe some church history, uh, but don't, you know, don't come at me with science or politics or anything like that. It's not what he's saying. It's not an either-or type of thing. But certainly, if we're Christians, we're children of God, disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, certainly we do well to know as much about God as we can as much about his word as we can. And that's the best textbook that there is concerning learning about God and learning about what God wants in our lives is to know the Bible. New Testament, most of all, Old Testament, a hard second right on the tail of that. And the only reason I even put it in that order is because New Testament is what is most relevant 
most directly relevant for us today. The Old Testament is still there for us to learn from, and there's good doctrine in there for us as well. So I'm not trying to, to split those apart. Add to your faith virtue. Add to your virtue knowledge. And let me just backtrack to virtue one more time, because I said how I, I said I was going to tell you how how to be more virtuous, how to add to your faith. Virtue is very simple, okay? When you were first born again, God by his Holy Ghost planted within you the seed of every single human virtue that exists. The seed of every one of those things. And that's one reason why it ties so much into and may even be largely synonymous with the fruits of the Spirit that we talked about uh, at the beginning of tonight's study or earlier in tonight's study um, from Galatians chapter 5. Okay, They are largely synonymous. The Spirit put it in you. The seeds of it. So well, why am I still so impatient then? Or why am I maybe per, uh, perhaps I'm quick to anger or something like that? Or why, why do I still suffer from certain kinds of temptation of intemperance or something like that? Lack of self-control. Well, because you haven't practiced what virtue you have. He put the seed of every virtue in you when you were born again. But what's a seed? Are you going to get any fruit from a seed? No, it's a seed. That seed has to die and then crack open, germinate, and become the plant that it's supposed that it's the seed of. Doesn't that make sense? Jesus telling us that about having faith as a mustard seed and how you know what begins, it's the smallest of all seeds. And if you've ever seen a mustard seed, man, it is incredibly tiny. Uh, yet when it is grown, it is a massive tree. And it, it says even the, you know, the fowls of the air make their homes in it. And so it begins as something very small, sure, but if properly nurtured, if fed, if provided for, cultivated, and grown, it turns into something huge, and it turns into something wonderful, and it turns into something useful. Let that speak to you right there. It turns into something useful. He said the fowls of the air would make their homes in it. Well, think about that. That's not just poetry. That means something. And so whatever the particular virtue is, okay, if it's patience, then practice what little patience you may have, and you will find that it will become greater patience. It will grow. It will become more than it was at the beginning. So whether that's patience, whether that's temperance or self-control, whether that's... Um, whether that's um, an excellent spirit, that's another, that's, uh, that's more King James language there, it's more authorized version language there. A cool, meaning a self-possessed, patient, uh, self, um, well I've already said, self-possessed spirit that is not easily flustered, is not quickly angered. The Bible tells us that. It tells us to be slow to anger, to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So the more you practice the virtues that you do have, even if you don't have much of them, the greater they will become. So do you have any kind of proof of that? Well, you know, not that I would like to rely too much on secular figures to support biblical teachings. There's sometimes some merit to that. Benjamin Franklin, everybody knows who he was, right? One of the founding fathers and all that. The only non-president who has his face on a 
on a piece of our currency, I think. I think it's at least our paper currency. Uh, it was said that he would pick one particular virtue to work on. Now, man, I don't believe he's Christian. Because there were some faults in his life that were the kind that do not exist in Christian lives. Uh, without a Christian crushing them and getting them out of their life. Let's just leave it at that. But he would pick one virtue to work on. Because he recognized the values of them, even from a secular point of view. Okay, And then he would practice that virtue until it became part of his personality and who he was. Well, man, sinners can do that. Why in the world can't Christians? Why, why can't we? We've got the seed of God in us. We've got the spirit of God. We've got the word of God. We've got hearts and minds washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, transformed. We're new creatures in him. Surely if there is any virtue to be had and to be demonstrated, it would be in us, wouldn't it? That's almost an indictment because a lot of people just don't want to. There's more to the Christian life and to the Christian experience. There's more to the godly, holy life than just being good at worship. And we need to be good at worship. But being good at worship just means worshiping in spirit and in truth, worshiping from the heart. It doesn't speak of a technique or something like that, okay? But there really is. There's, there's more to the holy life than just scheduled church attendance. Praise God for that. So, you know, don't stop that. But there's more to it than that. There's more to it than just, you know, <laughs> than just praying pretty, okay? <laughs> Let me just put it out there like that. When you really get a hold of God, a lot of times you're going to get ugly doing it. You will. And, and then, but then some people take that and they run with that and they try to make that into a spectacle and a virtue. God wants us. you got to remember, he's called us to it. And Peter, by the Holy Ghost, uh, you could say he commands us to it. He certainly directs us to it right here. Add to your faith real godly virtue. The Holy Spirit will help you. He will help you practice what you've got. He will, God in his infinite providence will provide, trust me, he, trust me, and many of you already know this, he will provide ample opportunity for your virtue <laughs> to be tested. Not because he's trying to trip you up, but because he has given you opportunity to both, uh, to both, demonstrate it and to practice it and to grow. That's more than both. I said both. That's three things. To give you opportunity to demonstrate it, to reveal to you and to others whether or not it's actually there, how much of it is, if it is, how much of it's not, if it's not. Okay? He'll try you in restaurants, eventually, once things open up again. He'll try you in traffic. Oh, yes. He'll try you with other human beings and their, and their interactions with you. He will try those things, and it will show you yourself. It will show you what you have, and praise God for what you have. It's not a negative thing. It's not all negative, okay? It'll praise and rejoice in the virtue that you have. Don't become proud of it, okay? Because that's the opposite of a virtue. That is a vice. It's worse than a vice. It's a sin, okay? But rejoice in the virtue that you have. Give the glory to God, and then practice it more, and grow it more. He'll reveal how much you lack. Okay, well, what do you do? Well, you go to God in prayer. Help me with this, Father. Help me with this. And that's the secret of any godly thing that you may lack in your Christian life. It isn't to just feel bad about your lack. 
or justify it with threadbare, war-worn justifications like, oh, well, I'm only human and God understands that. I'm not perfect. It's not like I'm Jesus. Really? Well, you're supposed to be. We're supposed to be like him. That's what Christian means, isn't it? So <clears throat> praise him for the virtue you have and practice it more. Seek his help for the virtue you lack until that lack is made up. And then add to your virtue knowledge. And to do that, we've got to eat this book. That's something my late pastor told me in a seminary class back in the 90s. And he said it loud with that West Virginia accent or drawl or whatever you want to call it. Speaking of the region he was from, he said, what he, and he was teaching preachers is what he was doing. It's not just for preachers. Don't fall into that trap of thinking that all these deeper things in Scripture are just for ministers. That's a lie of the devil. They're for every believer. Remember who this letter was written to. It wasn't written to pastors. It wasn't written to preachers and ministers and people that carried fancy credentials and all of that. It was written, he said, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It was written to every born-again soul walking the face of the earth, then and now. It's for all of us. So, knowledge requires that we eat this book. Eat it. Old Testament, New Testament. Had a man wearing me out on the telephone last night from out of state about how he was in a rut. He only reads the same few books of the Bible over and over and over and over again. And I guess he reads fast. I guess. But he didn't want to move it into, into anything else. And so sort of had to talk with him about it. It's like, well, break out of that. Read the whole New Testament first. That's what you do. Best place to start, Gospel of John. From there, you can choose. You can choose your own adventure. You can either stay in the, read the other three Gospels and then move into Acts or just go right from John into Acts. Either way. Might even be better in some ways to go right over into Acts, okay? Because that exposes you to the early church. And you haven't gone back into Acts in a long time. You need to do that. And then from Acts, you, know, you go right into Paul's letter to the church at Rome. It's called Romans. And then over to 1st and 2nd Corinthians and onward all the way through all 13, 14 of his letters. And then over to 1st and 2nd Peter and then on. And, when, and in our teachings, in our Bible studies, we've been kind of, excuse me, we've been kind of uh, flip-flopping back and forth. We'd read a letter or two of Paul's and now we're over in Peter. And we still got Jude and James and those to go through. And it's a long-running joke in our church about don't teach James again. But James is good. Mm -hmm. I know it says in there, count it all joy. <laughs> and then when you ever teach, whenever you teach that, things start trying, things start happening in people's lives because that's God testing us on the material that, that we've been taught. Count it all joy when your tire is flat or when you come <laughs> out to your truck and all full wheels stolen, like it happened to our dear brother. So here it is. Add to your faith virtue. Add to your virtue knowledge. Well, if I add, if I add to my faith virtue, through practice, okay, as well as learning. How do I add to my knowledge? Read, 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 read. Read the Word of God. There's so much there. Read the Apostles. Read the Prophets. 
Read the Psalms and the Proverbs. Those are two singular books right there. Read the historical books that are back in the Old Testament. Not the, the law, certainly. Read, Gen read Genesis, man. That'll, that will open your eyes to some things. And then when you read all of that, read the historical books like Joshua. Read the judges. Read the history, the ancient history of Israel. Read how, read about the mistakes that they made. And read about the things that they did right. It's not all negative. Read about the kings, the good ones and the bad ones. Read uh, all of those, the books of wisdom and so on that are back there. Read the Gospels. Read the teachings of Jesus Christ. And don't just throw them off because they were the teachings of the Jewish Messiah to a Jewish people. They speak to us today. He is our Lord. Amen. Read them. Read the Revelation. Don't be afraid of it. Now, don't expect you're going to understand it the first time through. But don't be afraid of reading it. Okay? Well, I don't want to read Revelation. It's scary. It's okay. What are you afraid of if you're right with God? All those curses, they're not for you. We're not ordained to all of that stuff. God's going to take care of all of that in his time. Focus on the good stuff that's in there. Focus about all those elders that took off their crowns, threw them down before the throne of God. Their reward, they took yes. it and threw it down before the reward and before the throne of God because they, they saw how in the, in the presence of his majestic splendor, how little they really were. And, and that's a liberating thing. It's not a bad thing at all. It's whenever we start thinking that we're anything, Amen. we're starting to wander into that the trap of Satan right there. Read all of it. Attend Bible studies, as you're doing right now. So I know I don't need to tell you, because you're already here. But attend the studies. We don't just do it because we got nothing better to do on a Tuesday night. You know, we do this, so I don't think I've mentioned this before. This thing is free, man. Not that we charge for anything, but we don't take an offering or anything on a Tuesday night. We come in, we fire up the lights and the heaters if we need them, and we just come and we just put it out there for whoever's got an appetite. Learn, learn, learn. Seek godly fellowship. Discuss spiritual things. Yes. And add to your virtue knowledge. Thereby, add to your virtue knowledge. Just as a quick, as a quick, okay? To knowledge, temperance. Now you hear that word temperance, remember, equate that instantly. The meaning of temperance is self-control. So add to your knowledge, self-control. Self-control. That might sound redundant because that's a virtue. And they already covered that with virtue, but maybe he just wanted to get more specific. So add to your faith, virtue. Start practicing right now. Right now. Don't wait for the next service. Don't wait for, wait for the next prayer meeting. Start practicing what virtues you know are virtues right now. Everything from patience to modesty to whatever it may be. Faith, long-suffering, practice what you have, and in time it will grow. And add to your virtue knowledge. And these, let me just say this in closing, okay? Because even the, the metaphor of calling these building blocks that stack one on top of another isn't entirely, isn't a perfect metaphor. It's not a perfect illustration of them, okay? Because you don't, you don't add one of those things and then add the other, and then add the other. 
Most, if not all of them, you add to your life concurrently. They should be growing at the same time. So it's, it's not a case of, well, I don't want to try to add any knowledge to my life until I've got that first thing down, virtue. Okay, so I've got faith. So now I'm going to work on virtue. I'm not going to work on any knowledge until I've got virtue. No, 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 no. You know, maybe to, to some extent, perhaps. Okay, because you want, to, you want to exhibit virtue immediately. All right? But the more you learn, the more you learn is virtuous. And so do you see how many of these things happen at the same time? And so it's like a garden. You want to grow 12 things in that garden. We don't just grow the tomatoes first and not do anything else until the tomatoes are grown and then you pick them because then you're just going to focus on more tomatoes. Grow all of it at the same time. Grow the brotherly kindness. Really. Grow the brotherly kindness. Grow the knowledge. Grow the virtue. Grow the, uh, grow the, uh, the self-control. Grow all of these things at the same time. And it takes work. Sure, he says, diligence. But with God's help, we can do all things through Jesus who strengthens yes. us. Amen? So let's do it, man. Let's be real. And let's give all the glory to God. And people will see it. And we'll actually be it. And it will be wonderful. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible Studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash giving